0: Hey, Bill.
1: Hello, Carla. It's good to see you.
0: Good to see you, too. Guess what? What? It's our 10th episode of Heads Down, Two Thumbs Up.
1: That is special in Western math because we have 10 fingers and we are a base 10 (laughs) system.
0: I'm actually looking forward to the time we can celebrate maybe, you know, 100 episodes, but I'm feeling like we're getting there. We're We're getting getting there.
1: there. Absolutely. We're 10% of the way.
0: Um, For our listeners who aren't familiar with Heads Down Two Thumbs Up, this is the podcast where we talk about movies that talk about schools.
1: Yes, it is. And today, we're actually going to talk about not a specific movie. We're going to talk about movie soundtracks. Yay! Soundtracks that shape our lives. They're like the soundtracks of our lives in a lot of ways, I would say. Oh, yeah. So we're going to back up a little bit first, right?
0: Yeah. I thought... Um well, first of all, Bill, I think it's really important for our listeners to kind of understand the difference between you and me <laughs> on this particular topic. Okay? I want to get really, really clear. I mean, let's talk about you as a listener of music first.
1: Yes, well, yes, yeah. so I guess we should have it duly noted that my undergrad is in music, that for a while, like before I was teaching full time, I was playing music professionally full- time, worked in a recording studio. Um, you know, helped work in Brad Fidel's studio, the guy that did the Terminator 2 soundtrack. Um, Yeah, so I I have a pretty deep appreciation and understanding of music in life and definitely noticed it um, and have followed it pretty specifically like in movies also.
0: Yeah, I mean, you even wrote the music for our podcast, our theme music. I sure did.
1: yeah. (laughs)
0: And, you know, definitely music is a huge part of my life, but completely as a consumer, besides my forced piano lessons from like <laughs> the age of five through the day I graduated from high school, I pretty much am just a consumer of mostly popular, very mainstream music. And my depth of knowledge is is pretty, pretty limited and basically sort of what I listen to. So I think it's going to be kind of fun because you're coming at today's Uh, podcasts with just a real, almost professional ear. And I'm coming at it as a total amateur, which should be, should be nice.
1: Yeah. Well, that makes it, I think more fun to actually listen to because you (laughs) you get two pretty different perspectives. And I've learned as I've gotten older in this thing called life, that it's not about one is better or worse. They're just different perspectives. Um, My wife likes to tease me that I ruin things for her musically things that she had never noticed and it stopped being like just a song for her. And she's like, well, now I'm hearing the interesting snare drum. Yeah. I don't know. For me, it's, it's, I, I I've like, I grow a deeper appreciation for it. The once I can hear all those things, I realize just how much work went into it. Um, And I I noticed, you know, how things are recorded sometimes and how it actually communicates more or communicates a specific thing. Um, So we're going to jump into that a little bit here. also just talk about kind of music as kind of a character in movies and how it enhances characters that we see in movies. So should we jump into it? Yeah, I
0: think before we talk about music soundtracks of movies that talk about school, it'd be fun just to kind of back up a little bit. So let's go.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So we're going to start off with what I think a lot of people think of when they think of movie soundtracks. argue this a lot of different ways i'm going to share that really john williams has defined what modern movie music is the big thing we get with star wars episode 4 from 1977 is we get a theme for each character and at the time we have to rewind 44 years at this point at the time this was like so profoundly new different innovative like pushing the envelope That people almost kind of didn't know what to do with it, and there's examples of this earlier. But I think there's there's really a moment in movie history that's pre Star Wars and post Star Wars. So a couple examples for you from our original one. Track three is called Princess Leia's theme.
0: I always thought it was kind of funny though. I mean, it is new to movie movie soundtrack. But if you go back, like to me, I always was like very. It was very Peter and the Wolf, you know, Mm -hmm. like Tchaikovsky using little oboe for the duck or whatever. every character had its little uh had its instrument so for me that that idea is is, is sort of funny it just reminds me of, of a childhood memory
1: <laughs> yeah no absolutely and if if you've not watched that i think netflix has a, a great um stop motion animation of that you know and here's the oboe and there's the duck No,
0: oh, but peter is the violins right yeah yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> and then we have the bird flying with the flute and on and on so it's, it's that same basic idea like we've had this idea in music um the term for it in music is pastoral that it kind of paints a picture for you um, mm-hmm. so this has been around for a long time in music and it was really john williams that that brought it to kind of the modern era of music so we have princess leia's theme We definitely have Darth Vader's theme. Do you have that in your head? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Here we are. good, And what I love about bits like this is that it is so ingrained in us that actually in the, the latest three movies, episodes 7, 8, and 9, they start to tease it. So when we first see Kylo Ren and we see all of the stormtroopers, we start to hear this music. And for me, I got chills when I saw that in the theater because that was like the first time. We're like, oh, like this is a moment where the stormtroopers are no longer for good. They're for sure like this is... This is a moment where it is a dark switch side. to the dark side. This is the side. dark side. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and this this continues all the way forward. If we jump way ahead, we have ray's theme in The Force Awakens, which is actually one of my favorite ones. Here's her theme. Anytime you hear either those instruments or that melody. That's always going to be associated with a character and sometimes you don't get just ray with ray's theme sometimes it'll be a character thinking about someone or the influence of them right and so once you can identify kind of these themes and and john williams really made this like set in stone for modern cinema once you know these themes it starts to play out in different ways where it'll kind of foreshadow or see kind of how they play together Um, using one person's theme with other people's instruments, there's, there's so many things you can do to communicate so much more than otherwise would visually.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. And I, you know, I, I can't help but think about how it builds such, it actually probably builds relationships between characters, mm-hmm. you know, the complexity of the music and the fact that, um, you know, the, with characters having their own theme songs, their own instruments, that when you put characters in the same space together and start to blend that, it actually is a backdrop for their relationships as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and you see this in so many other movies where a character is gonna have a main theme. So it's, it's not so much about like the theme of the movie, but it becomes the theme for each character and how that kind uh-huh. of plays out. Uh, and that really started with 1977. You know, I know you have a lot of other examples of, of other movies that are kind of epic like that, right?
0: Oh yeah, I mean, I think about the fact that, you know, there are some, there are some movie soundtracks that I just own, you know, because they're such fabulous pieces of music as as i as i mentioned earlier i may not necessarily have the the extensive knowledge of how those movie soundtracks were made but i think about just iconic movies like chariots of fire the mission gettysburg i mean these were these were soundtracks that i owned and listened to as as great pieces of musical work. Um, In fact, we just bought a a record player um, for our house up in Portland. (laughs) And one of the first uh, albums that Mark bought for me was *Cherry and Sapphire. I thought that was really cute as a runner, but also it's just just a a great piece of music. So we were listening to it on our new record player on vinyl.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and whenever I listen to this, I can't help but need to run in slow motion.
0: Yeah, absolutely. On a beach, preferably.
1: That one, by the way, Chariots of Fire, the Academy Award for Best Original Score in 81. And around this time, also, you know, we have other hits that really took a movie that otherwise might not have been quite as famous, but you take something iconic visually, put it together with something iconic musically, and you're just like, here's something else. See if you know this one right away. Do you know that offhand?
0: No, I don't know
1: that. Oh, it's coming. Let me jump ahead.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. Never mind. Contact.
1: There it is. The orchestral Rocky. Yeah.
0: Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Absolutely. What would that movie be without that soundtrack? It, it would
1: <laughs> be pretty dull. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There are a handful of artists that have written musical scores that have revolutionized what movies are and really what music is in a lot of ways. Uh, we already mentioned John Williams. Someone else we have to mention is Hans Zimmer. My favorite podcasts, besides this one, obviously, is Song Exploder, Rishi Keshe Her Way uh, interviews people and they give you the, the song stems, right? So the isolated tracks and the stories behind the songs. And, uh, and recently recently Hans Zimmer was on that one. We didn't get him on this show, but to be fair, I didn't try. He walked you through the theme of Dune. And what was so interesting about that is they wrote it during the pandemic. And so he was basically alone in his home for over a year working on this music. And he went through like hundreds of versions of this, like hundreds of versions of the theme. And so he went through the the main character's theme and how that evolved. And so much of it was actually the texture of it and so much less of it was actually the melody. So less about the notes and more around like the quality of the sound and what what textures in those instruments he ended up choosing. Um, and that's really iconic I think actually of Hans Zimmer. Uh, again I said before I was teaching full time I was doing music full time and somebody had a, a floppy disc in 2002 of Hans Zimmer strings. And so you you would actually pop it in, there were a handful of of different keyboards that would accept this as like like a synth pad and you would load it up and Hans Zimmer actually had like his sound, his players, his microphones and you could just play it on your own keyboard. And this was like 2002 and at the time this was completely revolutionary um, to actually be able to trade sounds. At at this point now, I actually got a plugin for Logic Pro which is like the high-end audio engineering software and, uh, and what they did is, is they got a plug-in for Abbey Road 1. So the main studio where they've recorded countless things. Like we just listened to Star Wars. That was recorded, I believe at Abbey Road, uh, the London Symphony Orchestra. And what you get is the entire orchestra. And this is just on a synthesizer, right? So I don't even need to connect a physical keyboard. I can use my laptop keyboard, pull up musical typing. If I hit the letter A, it's gonna play a C or asdf is you know one two three four and when i play that um, what you actually get is the entire orchestra from abbey road and that's just built in you know it's it's just a plug-in for logic pro which is kind of an incredible thing you can even decide which microphones to turn on or off you can have the microphones in the back the ones up front the ones that are close might the ambient ones if you're recording just the French, if you're just playing just the French horns, you can actually have like the bleed microphones. So the ones in front of the strings and you can mix it. All of this, you know, in 2022 exists in logic. Uh, but, you know, if we, if we think back, you know, 20 years ago or back when Star Wars was, you know, almost 45 years ago now, you know, all this kind of stuff was absolutely cutting edge and was was so, so powerful.
0: Fantastic! I love that you have all these stories of uh, of the of the musicians and the the making of the of the music, and it's sort of fitting that he uh, mm-hmm. he was uh, right. all alone in his house during the, the creation of Dune. I mean, that that alone yeah. can probably tell you a lot about all that. Yeah, and I have, I have one more story <laughs> for you. So,
1: uh, in the early two thousands, and I was working at Orange Whip Recording Studio in Santa Barbara. Um, known for all the punk rock bands, which is what I was deeply into at the time. Playing in a punk rock band was making about $5 a month working at the studio, working like 80-hour weeks, just like, you know, living the dream of of your early 20s. Um, And we had a a call, Montecito, which was just about 20 minutes south of Santa Barbara, 20 minutes south of our studio, um, needed to to troubleshoot like a mixer, or this was like right when Pro Tools was becoming a thing. Where it wasn't just like you can kind of pull it off. Like people were pretty much switching over to, to digital recording in the early 2000s, the the late 1990s, or as my kids call it, the 1900s. That's when it wasn't quite, you weren't quite able to pull off <laughs> recording digitally and get it quite to that caliber of professional. It was just, it, it, it wasn't there. But the early 2000s, you could pull it off. Brad Fidel, who did most notably the Terminator soundtracks, Just moved over to pro tools and so we drove down and i got to actually work in his studio and you know kind of work on pro tools for one day um you know so went through like the massive houses of montecito um went through his house and then he had a, a back house that i think is actually bigger than my current house that we own um and all it was was a recording studio so it oh, had right. you know <laughs> 10.1 surround sound It had a giant screen and at the time it was it was projection but it was his own studio. He had about a dozen chairs in the front. He had a full grand piano when you kind of walked in. And then just adjacent to that was his digital workstation. And what Brad Fidel is still known for is his work with synthesizers. And so he had a synthesizer. I tried looking it up and I could not figure out which one it was, but he has like one of 10 synthesizers left in the world. And this is where like the transistors are like, you know, the size of a candy bar. And now you know we have, billions of transistors on a single microchip these ones are like you pull out the transistor um it takes up an entire room it has to be at the right temperature um he has one i believe tori Amos has one and there's there's less than 10 left but the particular sounds you can get they just they can't quite recreate um and so we had like a temperature controlled room for a synthesizer you know it's kind of this level of of work um
0: Amazing yeah, thing. it was
1: just incredible. And even aside from that, like Hans Zimmer for Dune did so much of it on synthesizers in his house. And I think that there's something really magical about technology right now right. where you can actually pull off an entire orchestral score or just a movie score on a laptop. You know, like there's we're kind of at a magical point with technology right now.
0: Yeah, it's kind of interesting. It reminds me a little bit of the difference between... Um, oh, sure, digital sure. photography and print photography, like, sure, you can do all of the, you can make a digital photograph, you know, do the same thing that you can with the print, mm-hmm. but there's a certain artistry to using the print. Um, and then there's a certain artistry that's different to using the, the digital. And it's just kind of all the tools that we have at our disposal and, and what artists consider to be sort of the, yeah, the, yeah. the more pure or the less pure? Or how do you define that? It's just sort of an interesting question.
1: There's a photographer, and I can't for the life of me remember his name, but he actually takes photos with film, and then will import them and has, you know, like a dozen people working for him that will digitally alter them and, and like, really, really, really dig into the digital editing of it. But it starts as analog. And I know that You know, even in 2002, I don't know where it's landed now. It's probably just kind of not existent. But Orange Whip had two-inch tape, you know, a reel-to-reel tape machine. And for bands that could afford it, they would actually record drums and bass onto the two-inch tape and then digitally transfer it. Because if you you really know what you're doing with analog, Uh it can actually saturate the tape in a way that gives you what's called tape compression. Because once you start to overdrive the tape, it actually changes the quality, particularly of the drums. And so you, you can get an effect if you're actually using analog equipment, whether it's photo, orchestral, or you know, two-inch tape for music um, that you can't quite replicate digitally yet. And then when you transfer it, then you get all the benefits of the digital.
0: It's just amazing to me, and maybe this is taking it up to the 50,000-foot level again, but it's just amazing to me that the impact that music has on a movie and your experience as an audience member watching and participating in it. And a few years ago, the Academy Awards did, they were talking about soundtracks and um, they did, uh, they took a bunch of sort of iconic scenes from some of the most famous movies and they took them and they took them, took the music out. And you just watched little bits of these um, movies, like The Godfather or Star Wars or uh, or Gettysburg, and you know it just felt like there was the emotional component of watching those movies just evaporated, you know. And so it's just to me, when we listen, when we go see these movies, the appreciation that we have for the for the music. I don't think we always notice it in the moment, but if we were to take that music away, uh, you know, the the characters would change, the the feelings would change, the emotions would change. So it's really it's fun to kind of dig into the the making of, of these movies and the, and the importance of music.
1: So let's talk about actually some movies about schools that have some soundtracks that mean a lot to us. Oh gosh. So starting off just with ones, <laughs> we're, let's get back on brand and actually talk about movies that talk about schools. Carla, what do you have for us that are some soundtracks about movies that talk about schools?
0: Oh, my gosh. When I thought back on the music soundtracks that I loved the most, a lot of them actually were movies about schools. And, of course, that makes sense because so Mm -hmm. much of the formative music of my life came from when I was in middle school and high school, and there was no single movie maker or filmmaker who was more important to my generation than John Hughes. I mean, John Hughes was sort of the filmmaker um, of my teenage years, and, you know, he had sort of a trilogy um, of sort of uh, Molly Ringwald movies, Sixteen Candles, The Breakfast Club, and Pretty in Pink, and um, just for the fun of it, thinking about those movies, I went back and sort of looked at some of the soundtracks to sort of see and were they as good as I as I thought they were, were they really worth sitting down and listening to as a as a complete record or a complete album? And mm-hmm. I thought of a couple of things really interesting. First of all, John Hughes was the anti heavy metal.
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: Music lover. So in the 80s, you either loved the heavy metal, you were either like a Night Ranger, uh, Motley Crue, uh, Def Leopard, aficionado, or you weren't, and maybe you liked what I would consider sort of new wave. So for me, John Hughes was the lover of new wave. And it's hard to know whether watching those movies shaped my music preference or whether my music preference drew me to those movies. <laughs> I don't know which. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah, well, I think the whole point of this episode is it's it's almost impossible to separate those, right?
0: <laughs> yeah, so I went back and yeah. I sort of looked at some of his, his, his albums, and I will say, um, 16 Candles was really not a mm-hmm. great soundtrack, but it had one iconic mm-hmm. song, which was If You Were Here, which was the Thompson Twins' big song, and it, and it ends the movie. her character Samantha is finally landed Jake Ryan, the gorgeous Porsche driving dreamboat in that final scene, as they kiss over her birthday cake, um, so I mean that was that was sort of like the song of the movie, and it sort of framed the whole plot line and, and the fantasy that was that movie for most teenage girls. <laughs> Ask any woman <laughs> my age, and have people say, "Oh, Jake Ryan, you know. <laughs> and that was sort yeah, of yeah. the moment. Absolutely. You know his other his other movies got better in terms of an overall soundtrack. Breakfast Club mm-hmm. definitely everyone remembers. Don't you forget about me. You know, and we go. With, uh... <laughs>
1: Instantly, you can, like, picture that movie, picture that era. Instantly.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. But, you know, he just had such great music taste. And as he moved on to sort of Pretty in Pink, he heard great bands like OMD, Nick Kershaw, Suzanne Vega, of course, the Psychedelic Furs, the Smiths, all in Pretty in Pink. And he just starts to get really, he warms up after after that one hit in 16 Candles. And he just, he really starts to build, I think, mm-hmm what I would consider kind of a whole sort of style of music for a generation of listeners through his his um, his movies. And he, he, you know, I think the last one that I would say of John Hughes' movies really was a little bit off of that trilogy, but some kind of wonderful, which had Mary Stuart Masterson and Eric Stoltz, um, was also a lot of fun, but he had some great tunes in there. Charlie Sexton's Beats So Lonely, a great version of can't help falling in love with you from lick the tins some jesus and mary chain Flush for lulu i mean these were just great songs and um if you were not a heavy metal listener john
1: hughes <laughs> that's the way ran. to go yeah yeah <laughs>
0: Once again, like, he just really defined, I think, um, uh, at least for a large number of people, their sort of music taste. Yeah. Um, and also, I would just say, you know, once again, you had characters who had sort of theme songs. You mm-hmm. had, you know, the the nerd um, of, uh, of um, the nerd in 16 Candles sort of had his theme song or the nerds did. And, and so a lot of times he would find these these small pieces from various artists that uh that could capture a character as well whether it was long duck dong or or um or the nerds uh from his early movies and of course you know ferris bueller's day off has a great soundtrack yeah, I mean, that was our very, yeah, best, yeah, yeah. One of our very early uh uh podcast episodes i think it was our very first that's our first one great music and uh, he was able to create incredible scenes such as the twisted child Mm-hmm. scene, which actually neither of us really cared for. We don't <laughs> right, have that right. scene. But of course, you know, the music in that scene.
1: And what's interesting about all these soundtracks you're sharing is that they're compilations. It's not original scores oh, no. for the music, right? And so it becomes almost like a mixtape of, of an era of some characters of a moment in time.
0: Absolutely. I mean, none of these were originals, and yeah. yet he picked music that really fit the... The, the plot that mm-hmm. the characters. Pretty in Pink, of course, is set in a record store. Um, and so all of these, all of these albums sort of show up in the in the in the movie as well.
1: Bring on the dancing horses, whenever- So the way you were describing things, you know, kind of creating um, like an emotion of the film, this one actually does not fit our prerequisite of being about schools. But I found that I think John Hughes really did you a, a great service by having <laughs> movies about schools that meant a lot to you kind of in your formative years. You know, and there's, there's a lot of brain research I'm reading about recently that our teenage years have like deeply... Hardwired us for that music, and that it will always be our favorite. It will always be nostalgic. It will always be great in a very special way to us. So if you if you're listening to this now, whatever you loved in high school, you're kind of stuck with for the rest of your life, which is which is interesting. But I'll I'll take it.
0: I think that's probably true. Yeah. <laughs> do you have a Do you have a movie about school soundtrack?
1: Well, so the one that that hits me is definitely kind of a coming of age one. Was the Garden State soundtrack?
0: Oh yes! Awesome.
1: Right? There's an entire summer where that's almost all we listen to.
0: That whole movie was shaped by I think that singular moment when he puts on the Shins mm-hmm. and. Uh,
1: <laughs> God, could you ask? This
0: music will change your life.
1: Could you ask for like a better, like a better ringing endorsement of your music, to have Natalie yeah. Portman say this music will change your life, I and know. you play at least the Shins. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh, my gosh. For so this town all in my mouth. Only I don't know how they got out here. Turn me back into the net. I was when we met. I was happy and then with no mindset. That's because you know I I'm putting yeah. headphones on now as we're recording. I don't know that I've listened to any of this music with headphones on. It's actually a pretty different experience.
0: Oh, that's a great song for headphones. Um, My, uh, I went, you know, the shins are from Albuquerque. I didn't uh, know that. Yes, they are, and in fact, my high school classmate is um, the sister of Marty Cranville who was originally in the Shins. Eventually, got kicked out, but um, but yes, the Shins are an Albuquerque band, so I have a particular love for the Shins.
1: <laughs> so so good. What I love about that song in particular, if you do throw some headphones on, or if you just if you love any soundtrack, I would encourage you to listen to it with some headphones, maybe even some nice headphones, and not just like run with it or fold laundry with it. If you can just sit and listen, like actually listen. I do that so infrequently. I, I've started doing, putting headphones on um, and folding laundry late at night. I'll wait, I'll you know, kind of let it get up. And with five people in a house, it fills up pretty quickly and actually get through like an entire album. Um, but just really being able to listen to it without interruptions, without having it be like an exercise thing. Cause I, I think that's pretty different or without traveling which also feels pretty different, but just legit having headphones, Um, that song from the shins, there's an acoustic guitar in either ear. Often acoustic Mm. guitars are in the middle. It's really hard to play two acoustics in time perfectly. Um, And they did so you get one in your left ear, one in your right ear. And it sounds really, really good.
0: I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that right after we finish this podcast. I'm going to go listen to that song. And by the way, Garden State, amazing movie. Zach Graff, uh I think, wrote and directed that, and started it. Believe,
1: yeah,
0: and uh, and starred in it, and also had one of my other favorite uh, um, actors, Peter Sarsgaard, I think. And he and his wife is married. He's married to Maggie Gyllenhaal now. But um, uh, I love that movie. I loved the way, it, even though it wasn't about school, it was yeah. about the relationships he had made in, in school, school yeah. and his friendships, and coming back to those relationships after having been away from them for a while so it was great so
1: that's the closest I get to uh, a soundtrack about school
0: Uh, well I have a couple more that I just, I, I feel like I, 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 you came, came with all the, the real music knowledge. I came with the geek out
1: yeah, uh, yeah, love yeah. of That's music. That's perfect. I love it. What and else? I would
0: say the other sort of category that I really uh-huh. love, um, loved were musicals yes. about musical movies about school. <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> and, and I'm just going to name two. One is the movie Fame. Um, and this is, this, this movie must've come out in, you know, in the early 80s,
1: 1980.
0: Yeah. And it it spawned a a whole television series called fame. Mm -hmm. Of course, it's set at the high school performing arts in New York city, Fiorella LaGuardia, uh, high school performing arts, which is of course where Timothy Chalamet graduated. Well,
1: there you go. Look at that connection. Look at that.
0: Yes. As well as Ansel Elgort, who is just in, in in what the new West Side Story is Tony, but um, it was the uh, about maybe three or four months ago, and I was riding the Peloton, and the song I sing, "The Body Electric," which is an amazing music piece of music from Fame, um, one of the Peloton instructors had put on one of the playlists, and I just went crazy I mean I thought I'm just being transported (laughs) back to about fourth grade when I saw this movie it was one of my first adult movies like Mm -hmm. it was very questionable that my parents took me to see this movie in the first place it had nudity it had Irene Cara it was Um, adult themed and I saw it and then I bought the album and I listened to that record over and over again I think I wore it down um but I'm on the Peloton I sing the body electric and then I went back and listened to the whole soundtrack and it is actually really quite amazing (laughs)
1: let's not forget the title song the fame
0: oh yeah little Irene Cara
1: So good. That's so it was good. So good. Yeah. It was so good. <laughs> oh my god.
0: And I would just say that I guess I guess more recently I have really loved the music for Dear Evan Hansen, mm. and I realized that it's both a, a musical um, on Broadway as well as it became a very sort of uh, highly panned <laughs> um, movie with Evan Platt. I'm going start with Ben Platt starring as Evan Hansen. He played the character on the stage probably age appropriately, and then years later, when he was way too old to be playing Evan Hansen, played him in the movie. Um, But it's a musical with music and lyrics by Benj Pasek and Justin Paul. And it's a really, you know, amazing... It's an amazing soundtrack. It's amazing music. And the music is both... has some really light and funny parts to it, but also some very, very dark moments. And so it's a great musical... It's, it's really about social media, so it's very timely. Sure, uh, it's sure. very modern, and uh, I highly recommend uh, listening to it. And I, I guess if there's one great piece from there, maybe um, uh, Waving Through a Window would be a good one to, to share.
1: Yeah, let's listen uh, to that real quick. I've learned to slam on the brake. Before I even turn the key Before I make the mistake Before I lead with the worst of me Give them no reason to stare No slipping up if you slip away So I got nothing to share It's really good. I also love uh, Benj Pasick and Justin Paul also did the music for The Greatest Showman. That is a big uh, hit yeah. in our family.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, ben Platt's voice is just terrific and he's just got an incredible way of singing, which actually brings me to my last section of movies about schools and soundtracks. And that's really my guilty pleasure.
1: Yeah, let's hear them. <laughs> let's hear it.
0: <laughs> that the that the music that I listen to when I think nobody's watching me. <laughs> yeah. And that would probably be the, the Pitch Perfect soundtrack. Okay, okay, I know Pitch Perfect is not exactly about K through 12 school, but it is about college and it's about college acapella mm-hmm. um, and it stars Anna Kendrick and um, Adam Devine and, and Ben Platt, <laughs> all our um, college acapella singers and also incredible mashup artists. And that's really what Anna Kendrick does in that Movie, She plays a character who really wants to be a professional DJ. And she's able to take sort of this very traditional sort of sad acapella group and take them into a, a new sort of take them level up, take them to a new realm with her mashups. And I think the whole idea of the mashup is um, kind of comes from my I remember the first time I discovered Girl Talk mm-hmm. um, and the album Feed the Animals. I thought this is the single greatest thing I've ever heard and uh, um, loved that album and so everything that happens in Pitch Perfect kind of reminds me of how much I love a good sort of medley, a good mashup and um, the final mashup of Pitch Perfect goes right back to the breakfast club and is the simple mind song don't you forget about me mashed oh, yeah, up yeah. so sort of fun
1: yeah so it looks like that one is price tag don't you forget about me give me everything and just yeah. the way you are <laughs> i want to hear that i don't know if i've yeah. ever heard this song Yes. <laughs> there's this
0: great piece, though, when Anna Kendrick kind of busts out and Don't You Forget About Me. And, um, you know, it's there's a whole sort of part of Pitch Perfect around that movie, The Breakfast Club. So all of my, clearly all of my uh, choices all go right back to John Hughes.
1: Yeah, I love that.
0: Well, of course, I mean, you and I talked earlier when we were sort of planning the episode. Yeah. And we talked a little bit about, you know, how music can be used in school sure like hamilton yeah and you and i well maybe not you i certainly (laughs) grew up on schoolhouse rock yeah um and the shirley method was a very famous uh way of teaching kids grammar um to to song and music which was another sort of popular pedagogical tool to get kids to know their grammatical facts um but yeah schoolhouse rock from I'm um, Just a Bill on Capitol Hill. To, oh, yeah. I have um, that shirt. You know, your conjunctions. Yeah, yep, for yep, sure. Yep. And so yeah. <laughs> I think it's been a, in, a way and roads to, to helping kids in school learn their learn their facts, learn yeah. their historical facts. We probably don't use it enough, but Hamilton is certainly a great example a great of that. Great
1: example. And, and what I would love to do, and we're going to go just a tiny bit down this rabbit hole, is that, you know, 2002, if you wanted to record music, you had to be in a recording studio right, Carla? Mm -hmm. But now, guess where you can be to record music? In your home. In your home, anywhere. And like on a phone, you can record an entire album. Yeah. And it'll sound professional if you vaguely know what you're doing. Yeah. And so, you know, thinking at at Hillbrook, every one of our students has an iPad. And part of Mm -hmm. why I love the iPad over other devices, you know, like a Chromebook is that there's a bias towards creativity. So Mm -hmm. every one of our students could I mean, they, they don't day to day, but they could write a song any given day of school.
0: Bill, you're you're kind of a, um, an, you're an ed tech, uh, a little bit of an anomaly, I think, in that when you look at the technology, you see how can kids produce. I think still a lot of tech, ed tech folks think, how can kids consume sure, on their sure. devices? And I mean, you're a great example of someone who can look at an iPad and think of a million and one ways that students can be. Movie producers, songwriters, you know, digital editors, Creators, of all right? Sorts. Yeah. Creators, yeah, yeah which is really what the magic yeah. of having an iPad or an iPhone in your pocket really is. Yeah. You spend way too much time watching kids scroll when they could be really producing something. Well, yeah.
1: And, and even just to simplify it, when um, my oldest daughter was in first grade, they did uh, like a cityscape. And so Emily Hendricks, who I worked with for a long time here, actually went with first grade. They made uh, like a scale model of a city and then they did two things with it. They actually wrote a piece of music to go with their building, but then they also created a soundscape. And so my eldest did a grocery store and did some like Foley sounds of like, how do you get like the shopping cart? How do you get like ambient sound? Do you like grab like the, the grabbing of like, you know. Tap in the thing and whatever for like grabbing groceries, um, you know, like ding, ding, ding for like checkout and trying to actually create all of those sounds. Um, and with just a little bit of guidance, first graders were able to do this, you know. And, and so like we, we've we not jumped into fully, which is, you know, the the sound effects that are custom made for all movies, um, you know, or recording voices afterwards. We're focusing really just on, on the soundtrack, but just the aural experience that is so rich. And I think there's so many opportunities for teachers and for students to create things, to like, to, to create kind of a world, you know, I mean, if, if a first grader can pull that off with an iPad to make it sound like a grocery store, um, you know, sky's kind of the limit.
0: It's amazing. This is how we're going to get our next John Williams. This is how we're going to get our next, um, Hans Zimmer.
1: Yeah. The Schoolhouse Rocks gave me an idea. I think a mixture of Schoolhouse Rock plus Weird Al. Um, depending on the presentation I'm giving, I'll actually write a parody and record all the tracks originally, and then convince a friend to sing it. Um, and so, you know, I've, I've had all kinds of different songs. So I think my favorite recording is the Foo Fighters song Everlong. Yeah, it was about iPhoneography, and so it actually taught the people in our session five tips for taking better photos as a teacher uh, and got my my old neighbor Steve to sing on it and he uh, you know taught us about how to take photos on your iPhone.
0: for me memory lane on some of my favorite movie soundtracks about schools and and even those uh, not about schools and also just to learn from you some of the ways that music soundtracks and shape our the way we experience the movies um whether as whether we are really truly listening as a music connoisseur or someone who really knows and understands music or that we're just sitting back and letting a movie shape our music tastes Mm. and maybe shape our music tastes for life. For sure. As it is the case for me. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah. So if you had to pick one, like what, what is your go-to movie soundtrack?
0: I mean, it's embarrassing, but probably, well, probably I, I, once again, I listened to Dear Evan Hansen a lot straight through and I do listen to Pitch Perfect a lot.
1: (laughs) All right. All right. Pitch Perfect.
0: (laughs) I know. I can't help myself. It's just so fun. And once again, like you get a little bit of everything, including an original by Anna Kendrick, which I love, Cups. We've all seen every student talent show (laughs) have kids do Cups.
1: Do the Cups, yeah. (laughs) What about you? So if I picked just, I think, a movie soundtrack, I got to go with Garden State. It doesn't fit our parameters. So if I had to pick one, it's not a movie, but it's the TV show Glee. My wife and I were really into that. Um, I think particularly (laughs) that first season they had so many songs that were really like interesting covers, interesting takes on a handful of mashups. And it really I think that first season was about people kind of finding their people in high school through music. And I, I love that. I love what they did with the music. And then it, it kind of I feel like they pitched the idea and they're like, cool, we've got season one and season two. They're like, wait, we got renewed. What do we what what do we what do we do? I don't what know. We what do? <laughs>
0: Oh, yeah. Well, I actually, this is kind of a funny story, but I actually went to see the Glee cast in concert. You did. Here at Pavilion because <laughs> I loved it so much. Oh, my gosh. Clearly, you know, I went from Pitch Perfect to Glee. It's, yeah. It's a, you know, yeah. Pitch Perfect was just the gateway drug to my <laughs> love of high school and college acapella.
1: <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. And I feel like that that spawned their own kind of series of, uh, of high school musical type things. Sure. You know, like my, my kids are super into the zombies, zombies one, two, and three Um, descendants, descendants two, descendants three. I feel like that's a whole new era of
0: camp rock
1: high school rock songs.
0: Well, I like to think that fame really paved the way for some of those, those movie slash television, you know, high school musicals. It was kind of the original um, and it yeah. fit nicely because it was set at a high school for performing arts, but, you know, I don't think you would have had Glee, um, without fame.
1: No, I don't think so. <laughs>
0: I like to think that.
1: Yeah. I think fame and then much longer high school musical kind of yeah. set the framework for what, like the, the modern Disney movie that kids sing and dance in.
0: Uh, uh, I love high school musical. I even like high school musical, the musical. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh I got my gosh.
0: That
1: up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, so funny. Oh, Carla. So
0: what are we going to do next?
1: Up next? Have we decided? Yeah. Up next we have... I'm with myself.
0: No, who are you with? What band?
1: Oh, uh, I'm here to interview Black Sabbath. I'm a journalist. All right. So this is not a movie that takes place in schools. But when we talk about experiential learning, Carla, almost famous. Oh, yeah. That's like as on the, you know, as hands on as you get for learning your craft, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely, and I think one of our jobs uh, as, as podcast hosts is to expose our listeners to different ways that people learn, and certainly you will see that in Almost Famous, where uh, a young man really um, not just learns a craft, but learns a lot about life.
1: It's going to be a fun one. I've not watched it, I think, since it came out in 2000.
0: Well, I'm going to have to pay special attention to the soundtrack.
1: Yes. Yes, we will. (laughs) Look at you bringing it back in and putting a bow on this episode.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yes. I will. Hey, have a good time um, today uh, in whatever you do. And uh, looking forward to talking about schools with you and movies about them.
1: Always.